1: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, our host Gavin Phipps, and I'm joined in the studio this evening by independent political consultant Sean Su.
2: Nice to be back.
1: And on the telephone by regular commentator and southern Taiwan correspondent Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Thanks for having me. Tonight we'll be discussing it being the United Nations General Assembly time once again, and this year's virtual event is being held against a backdrop of calls for support for Taiwan because of the coronavirus pandemic. The KMT submitting a petition drive for a food safety referendum to the Central Election Commission, Commission for Review, a ruling on the Zhenghua County coronavirus study and also questions remaining over 19 foreign nationals who tested positive for the coronavirus after leaving Taiwan, the fisheries agency issuing a draft regulation to better manage derelict fishing gear and new moves to boost tourism in the south that come with both pros and cons but we will begin with ongoing incursions by Chinese military aircraft into Taiwan's airspace and on Tuesday of this week President Tsai Ing-wen addressed that issue. Speaking during a visit to an Air Force base in Penghu, Tsai said we will never allow others to display their military might in our territorial airspace and she went on to say that she has full confidence in the Air Force to protect the country amid rising military coercion from the other side of the strait. Now the statement of course comes as multiple Chinese aircraft across the median line of the Taiwan. Taiwan Strait or entered Taiwan's southwestern air defence identification zone in recent weeks. Tsai was visiting members of an IDF squadron who were stationed in Penghu to respond to any Chinese military activity in the area there and the Ministry of National Defence has said that it plans to extend the deployment of that IDF squadron at the base until the end of this year because of increased frequencies of incursions by Chinese aircraft. Now the Defence Ministry also in recent weeks established a real-time update platform on its website to show military developments around Taiwan and that includes reports and photographs. Previously, press releases were issued by the MND to inform the public about incursions by Chinese aircraft or Chinese boats. Now, Foreign Minister Joseph Wu this week also slammed Beijing, accusing it of destroying the status quo after it claimed that the median line of the Taiwan Strait did not exist. Now, speaking on the sidelines of an investment forum in Taipei, which seems a bit odd but he was questioned about it, Wu told reporters that the median line has long been seen as a way to avoid cross-strait conflict and of maintaining peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. Wu went on to say that the Chinese government should desist from taking any actions that destabilise the region and instead adhere to civilised international standards. Now, that statement was in response to comments by China's Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin, who told reporters on Monday of this week that as Taiwan is an indelible part of Chinese territory, there is no so-called line of the Taiwan Strait. So, Sean, tying ing Talking tough ish, Joseph Wu blasting China, and the median line comes up again.
2: Yeah, uh, this actually uh, made me think a little bit. I mean, if Wang Wenbing being mentioned that there is no so called center line in the Taiwan Strait, uh, you know, and Taiwan is supposedly a part of China, why did China have to erase, uh, arrest a couple of Hong Kongers trying to flee back into their same old country? I don't know. The more I think about it, um, it, it brings uncertainty without the median line. Now, of course, The median line wasn't uh, a formal agreement, uh, but it was generally well-respected. In the past, if uh, Chinese sent fighters to the median line, uh, they would tiptoe it, but they would fall back. Uh, That's changed, of course, and... um, Uh, J. Michael Cole, uh, who is a defense specialist, uh, wrote an excellent article earlier this week, and I'm going to steal a quote from him. He said, uh, without a doubt, we have entered the most dangerous phase in cross-strait relations since 2003 to 2004, if not the Taiwan Strait Missile Crisis of 1995 to 1996. And I actually am in agreement because it, this is so twenty twenty there's uncertainty here, right uh, without that median line, uh, where does it move next? does we, we definitely can't wait until there are twelve nautical miles away from Taiwan because these fighter jets fly so quickly, so this might cause accidents. who knows you know uh, you know somebody might accidentally fire upon another now now this uncertainty causes an issue Thai will be forced to either uh, react in a more uh, defensive tone. So she might have to draw out where the new lines are. And it will be ultimately tested in China. And this causes an increased possibility of something going dramatically wrong of which of course Beijing will definitely blame Taiwan and the possibility for war is increased Uh, granted it's almost November so uh, you know a a whole invasion won't be good but nobody wants a repeat of some uh, increased tensions so to speak like actual increased tensions not just in a news article but also um, I believe the Taiwan Ministry of Defense said that they might have to change their rules of engagement all of this is again more uncertainty
0: well, I mean, this seems like a logical progression for China. They've been uh, attempting to win over Taiwan with uh, either threats or bribes or something, and it hasn't been working. Uh, Thai was reelected with a resounding uh, by a resounding margin um, it uh, um, of course as, as they see it, there is no line because uh, if Taiwan is part of China then it, it, it doesn't make sense but um, the, uh, the 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 u s and recently, there's been several congressmen who have talked about the possibility of not perhaps recognizing Taiwan as an independent country, but uh, maybe uh, doing some sort of normalization of, of, of ties. So China's, I guess, just sort of pissed off right now. And um, I believe it was an exact quote from one of the uh, officials over there who said that uh, China will no longer play by the rules of the West. Uh, I think this was a week or so ago. And uh, this it seems to be the way that they're showing it. Now, the Military Review, which is the the uh, professional journal for the U.S. Army, the Army University Press, for the uh, October, September-October edition for this year, they have seven articles about Taiwan, uh, specifically about how to defend Taiwan, how to repulse uh, um, an invasion by China. So, yeah, the, uh, the, the heightened tensions are, are not good, and uh, China and the U.S. are, are, are both, uh, seem to be taking this somewhat seriously.
1: And, of course, Sean also, mine Joe, this week also took it seriously when he went and said, hey, look, China, maybe, you know, stop messing with the median line
2: uh yeah uh very interesting because uh during the ma administration he had uh taken a sort of less defensive uh stance in regards to the mi- uh, military purchases and the uh uh you know he will pop out and make some statements about you know uh how china's being aggressive but at the same time um uh, uh, I believe that th- there is a bigger uh, uh, issue here that is sort of being ignored, which is um, uh, Ma Ying-jeou will always take his position to, I guess, um, you know, because uh, to, to, if he if he had said something otherwise, that would be highly unpopular in Taiwan, and he's still uh, forced within the KMT. That said, uh, I also noticed how very little they were mentioning how China has been uh, more aggressive on all sorts of fronts and the Himalayans, uh, you know, uh, versus India, how it's been aggressive in the South China Seas, uh, the Wolf War diplomacy thing. So I, I don't think Ma ying had much of a choice but to step out right now and say, hey, you know, uh, you know, you should uh, respect the median line. Uh, that's a foregone conclusion. Saying anything else, it would be highly unpopular
0: and china obviously has uh, noted that the re- repercussions that russia got for taking crimea were zero and for meddling in the ukraine were also almost zero So perhaps they are generally deciding that now is the time to become a bit more emboldened.
1: And of course, Sean, Michael there talked about the U.S. not wanting to recognize Taiwan. But of course, this week, on on Sunday of this week, Joseph Wu was interviewed by a U.S. radio station. And he said the government here in Taiwan has no current plans to call for full diplomatic relations.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great move because uh, one of the things Joseph Wu is doing by, by saying this is making it clear that Taiwan isn't the one escalating quote-unquote tensions, right? Taiwan here is the one that is, uh, uh, they're, 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 you know, if China says, oh, you know, it, because obviously uh, China right now is very angry. Uh, they, you know, as Michael said, um, you know, there's been lots of state uh, exchanges with Taiwan recently. So by saying that we're not seeking for recognition from the united states that's one obvious way i mean everyone knows this is not going to happen but it's an obvious way to at least uh posture taiwan in a position where it makes it look like uh, hey we're just you know talking here but we're not asking for a best friend status with the united states or anything like that and this actually in effect makes china look even more aggressive or unreasonable
1: Moving on, and it's that time of year once again when world leaders meet at the United Nations General Assembly. But of course this year's event is being held virtually, so it's packed with pre-recorded video messages. Which I'm going to be a cynic here, probably makes it easier for anyone that doesn't want to listen to any world leader to simply get up and turn off the set. Anyway, I'm digressing. Now, representatives from Isawanti, Palau, the Marshall Islands and Paraguay all spoke up in support of Taiwan's participation in UN-affiliated organisations and agencies this week, while Foreign Minister Joseph Wu also called on all nations to support Taiwan's participation in the UN, saying that if Taiwan has the opportunity to participate in UN-related activities, meetings and mechanisms, it will be able to make even more contributions to the world. Now, of course, the coronavirus has meant that Taiwan will not be sending anybody to New York, to stump for the island this year as it usually does but some 20 Taiwanese organizations in the greater New York area have launched a petition and the petitions of course are normal things and they are once again call for Taiwan to be included in the international body and while Taiwan's handling of the coronavirus has been touted earlier this year there were some saying that maybe it could be a good stepping stone for the UN to recognize Taiwan because of the good way it handled it but of course that all seems to have gone by the wayside because of course Sean every other country in the world has its own coronavirus issues to moan about
2: oh yeah indeed I mean right now everyone's distracted taking care of themselves uh, you know bandaging there might be a, or there is a second wave in, in many countries so uh, I don't think it is the priority to uh, allow Taiwan into the United Nations right now uh, with some special focus yes there are lots of groups within uh, New York City that are promoting Taiwan's entry to the United Nations uh, like one group for example is uh, keep Taiwan free and one of their advantages recently is because with all this positive press on Taiwan, they've been able to reach out uh, to more Americans. Um, Older figures had shown uh, a couple years back that only about one third of Americans feel that they would want to defend Taiwan if it were invaded. But those numbers are starting to change. And this is a great opportunity for, uh, you know, um, groups to campaign to get Taiwan uh, more noticed. Uh, Here's a country that has done very well against the coronavirus, yet it's not a member within the United Nations. It's not a member uh within the who uh, these are injustices that could uh, be brought more to the forefront of people so it's a good on pr wise realistically i don't think it's going to change anything as for for now at least uh but baby steps right for instance uh one thing that taiwan and joseph Wu was uh, pushing in his uh, quote-unquote recover better together taiwan can help uh sort of a slogan is that they want to get taiwan press into the United Nations, as well as Taiwan citizens to better observe the UN. Uh, as you know right now, uh, nobody's really allowed in uh, if you have those uh, a Taiwan passport. Maybe that can change. So baby steps, I think, is probably maybe doable. But no, uh, there's no way that Taiwan's going to enter the United Nations this year.
1: So, Michael, baby steps...
2: Uh,
0: yeah uh the yeah well, here is what uh, China said back in May when the u s mission to the United Nations just made a little Twitter comment saying that they support uh more participation. It gravely interferes with China's internal affairs and deeply hurts the feelings of 1.4 billion, uh, four billion Chinese people. And this is what they say, just wrote, And that's not going to change any time, I think, in my lifetime, unless there's a complete overhaul of the uh, the Chinese government. So I'm actually quite happy that uh, President Tsai has not made the U.N. a, a big part of a uh, government uh, strategy or hopes. Uh, as we saw during the Chen Shui-bian administration, because it's it's pointless and uh, oh, just yeah. Uh, but I agree with Sean that the uh, the allies who have stood up for us and made a few comments about it does raise the issue in people's minds, and those baby steps may result in at least some minds changed. If uh, unlikely that we're going to see any any people entering the UN or any participation whatsoever, but yes, we will probably start to see. minds beginning to migrate.
1: And, of course, Sean Michael used the word pointless there, or maybe we could use the word embarrassing, of course, because the government had previous governments here in Taiwan have basically sounded like they're begging to join the UN.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a battle that they know they're going to lose. So there's no necessity to do that right now. Uh, there, there's just more advantage to take vi- uh, smaller victories elsewhere. Uh, like the PR battle that we mentioned, uh, if Taiwan made a very large noise about trying to get into the UN right now, not only will it lose, it will be seen as sort of radicalizing, raising tensions, causing problems, and more headaches for everybody when 2020 has been a big headache for a lot of people, a lot of governments out there.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with all of that. And also, I'm, I'm not even sure that we really want to be in the U.N. Uh, I, I don't really know what the, the point would be other than uh, uh, just having a seat there. What's the actual goal? The, 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 the greater goal for Taiwan, obviously, should be uh, observer status in some of these uh, uh, groups and organizations, World Health Organization, things that they could actually meaningfully participate in. So, yeah, the, the, the just, let, let's, let's stay out of this whole uh, join the U.N. thing.
1: And what affiliated bodies there, Sean, Michael was talking about?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think that that actually is the goal. Um, what I mentioned the earlier, New York, New York groups, uh, they're aware that Taiwan isn't going to be allowed inside the United Nations. But that's a good platform to bring a you know, voice to things like maybe it can get an observer status in the WHO uh, or some other you know, uh, roundabout process for that it's just not something that uh, is tangible uh, to to get into the UN but the the other groups are possible Uh, there's a lot of fronts where Taiwan needs to actually get in Uh, inside the United Nations Taiwan would definitely be bullied by a coalition of pro-China nations however uh, let's say ISO is one example where Taiwan could stand to have slightly more voices in which is a UN NGO Uh, this organization sets the standards for a lot of things including country names right Uh, there are are uh, so many UN affiliated NGOs where Taiwan can have a stand inside. So, you know, just being an observer or being able to talk in.
1: And the KMT on Wednesday of this week, moving away from the UN, submitted its food safety referendum petition to the Central Election Commission for review. Now, the petition is the first formal step towards holding a referendum on the government's decision to allow imports of US pork products containing residue amounts of the leanness enhancer rectopamine. Now, speaking to reporters after delivering the report, KMT Chairman Johnny Jung said the party collected 20,170 signatures for the referendum, which is aimed at, of course, halting the pork import policy. also said that 70% of the public here oppose the government's policy on pork imports from America. And while he didn't offer any specific sources for that figure, recent opinion polls by several companies have shown that it is roughly 70% of the public who oppose removing restrictions on the import of U.S. pork products. Now, Cabinet spokesman Ding Yi-ming responded to Jiang's comments by simply saying that U.S. pork imports to Taiwan will not affect the domestic local pork industry. Now, the KMT, interestingly enough, also submitted a second petition for a ballot on holding referendums in conjunction with national or local elections, and that garnered 12,519 signatures of support. Now, under the most recently revised Referendum Act, ballots can take place every two years, with the next possible date being August 28th of 2021. So, Sean, we've got to start here. Johnny Jung touting the anti food the food safety referendum and then saying that the first phase had garnered 20,170 signatures and that that number didn't seem a whole heap to me i would have thought that they could have got a lot more than that
2: yeah i i don't think okay so i, I want to jump back a little bit um talking about you know this ractopamine thing um you know it's uh uh again i'm not an expert on um this additive that allows pigs to grow larger and so forth but uh, in 2006 it was banned in taiwan and in 2011 when there was the u.s korea free trade agreement taiwan got nervous that it too would have to um you know uh, let up on ractopamine and ractopamine is, is a major issue because um, there are corporations in the United States that made this uh, basically a requirement. And back then, of course, uh, in 2012, they passed a law, Taiwan passed a law to label meat where they're from, make it very clear. You know, uh, quite often you'll go to the supermarket, there'll even be a flag next to it. A- and, that actually is the major key here for today right uh because you can tell you can just not buy it if you don't want it but i still have some more history to go to in 2015 they did a survey and you know what only 9.4 percent of the taiwanese people were in favor of opening up taiwan to getting uh that meat from uh uh, ractopamine laced meat from the united states and uh about 79% Disapproved. That hasn't changed much. However, uh what did change was that they realized that uh you know the open rate actually jumped to forty-nine percent versus thirty-four percent if there were clear labels. At the time, not everyone was certain the government would be capable uh uh that of labeling, you know, meat from where they're from. But now they are. Lots of people trust it. So if you don't want ractopamine pork don't buy it right Uh, other things that are important to note is that Taiwan is a meat importer uh, but our first number one by far by far uh, meat importer uh, location is Canada uh, 36,000 tons. Number two is Spain with 13,800 tons. Then, uh, uh, number three is Denmark with about 13,000 tons. United States is actually number four with only about 8,800 tons of meat imported from there. Uh, the vast majority of co- all of it, of course, is currently rectopamine free So I do think labels work. A lot of Taiwanese people think labels work. So I'm not surprised that the KMT didn't get a lot of signatures. Um... If given more time, I think uh, the end results will be that Taiwanese people will live with it. And there's a reason for this because Taiwan wants a, a TIFA or a free trade agreement with the United States. It could benefit our companies so much more, right? Uh, here's a simple example, right? Uh, uh, a lot of our products that go to the United uh, end up in the United States, even those that go to China, usually are processed and end up in the United States. So it helps our economy if we can, you know, being one of the biggest buyers, a uh, biggest trade partner of the United States that we could get lower prices and at the same time it would be great if our products can be price competitive with Japan or South Korea that do have an FTA you know especially since we're a tech exporter you know a small amount of taxes could be all the profit that TSMC makes or all the profit that uh, HTC makes you know for example so I do understand why uh, Thai, with the political capital is doing this right now makes sense Michael
0: um, well, I would argue that the uh, labeling thing is, uh, is, is less effective than, than people would argue. I mean, you go in for a sujiao or you know something. You, how do you know what what meat was ground into that? You know, a, you know night market, whatever. Uh, so labeling it doesn't uh, doesn't it doesn't. Buy, I don't I don't buy the argument with that. Um, I would make a, a case that uh, this is a good time to become a vegetarian, but that's a personal thing. Uh, secondly, the price of uh, getting this pork into Taiwan is is, is as, as Sean pointed out, is trade with the U.S. And I think that uh, this is just something that we have to do, unfortunately. We, ha- we have to do it just to be able to get support from the U.S. And it, it, it would be nice if we could be honest about it. And I think if the KMT were in power at this time, they would be coming up with ways and trying to convince the public of, of the opposing position. So uh, there's a lot of just uh, of, of disingenuousness here. You know, the truth is we're doing this to placate the U.S., and if you were in power, you'd probably be
1: doing the same thing. Which, of course, happened, shown with beef and ractopamine.
2: Uh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, you know, the KMT themselves uh, actually, uh, you know, legalized the import uh, a, a small amounts of ractopamine uh, with the United States a couple years back, uh, back when they were in power. And, you know, some people have pointed out that, hey, the KMT is being hypocritical here. But, you know, to be fair, uh, there there are certain issues like this one where parties back and forth, whoever is not in power goes against it and whoever is in power is for it. And uh, we do have to keep in mind that there's a lot you know there 's a lot of things that where this happens, for instance, the KMt was once against the high speed rail in Taiwan, which turned out to be enormously popular uh, the KMt at the time claimed that it might derail and kill people and so forth, but it didn 't so i 'm not saying that rectopamine isn 't harmless though but there are other things that we have to keep in mind like a lot of those porks that, uh, a lot of that pork being imported some of the largest food uh, meat exporters from the United States like Tyson is no longer using ractopamine right? so uh, we, we might not be uh, visions or, 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 or activists that say that we might be flooded with ractopamine and all of us might you know that's not really the case that's going to happen I think uh, but I do agree with Michael maybe it is a good time to be a vegetarian it is more economically and environmentally friendly.
1: Now we have to take a short break now but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week and in some coronavirus related news because thankfully we haven't had any for a while. Now the Central Epidemic Command Centre this week said it has so far been unable to establish whether 18 Filipinos and one Japanese national who tested positive for the virus when they returned home had actually been infected here in Taiwan. Now the 18 Philippine nationals have been working as domestic caregivers, factory employees and ship crew members and they all tested positive on their arrival back home sometime between August the 19th and September the 11th while the Japanese patient arrived in Taiwan on August the 29th completed his quarantine on September the 12th and returned to Japan two days later when he tested positive well for said coronavirus. Now that all led this week to one local newspaper on Thursday running a headline that read are Taiwan's communities really safe? Meanwhile health minister Chen Shih-jong this week said that while the recent testing of people for coronavirus antibodies in Jianghua by the county government's health bureau violated public health policy no disciplinary action will be taken. That statement, of course, comes after the Central Epidemic Command Centre wrapped up an ethics investigation into the Jianghua County Public Health Bureaus carrying out of its coronavirus study in July and August, during which time it tested 4,800 people for antibodies. Now, the Health Minister had previously voiced his opposition to the study, saying that county officials flouted epidemic prevention guidelines by testing people in home quarantine who did not have any symptoms of the disease, but also asked them to bring break their quarantine order as they had to leave their homes to actually get the tests. Now, the health minister on Wednesday said that county health authorities violated Act 5 of the Communicable Disease Control Act, which establishes the respective roles of central and local government health authorities, and they also violated Article 17 of the same law, which lays out responsibilities of the Epidemic Command Centre. However, those laws do not stipulate penalties for the types of violations committed by the Jianghua Health Bureau. So, Michael, we've got ethical problems with the study but no disciplinary action and concern over where these Filipinos and this Japanese man actually got the virus from.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly, I'm concerned. Um, I see, at least especially down here in the South, I see uh, much slacking when it comes to mask wearing in uh, public places and there's, seems to sort of just be a a feeling that uh, we're home free that everything's safe and I don't buy that actually I I think that there's a very good chance that the the virus is in Taiwan and is spreading and if we don't keep uh... defenses up and we're not cautious there could be a, an an what am I what word am I looking for uh, an outbreak yes so you know, there's a lot of countries that are suffering right now severely. Obviously, the U.S., Europe, uh, but but one thing that they are getting possibly is moving towards some sort of immunity, possibly. But we are living in a bubble and on an island, quite literally, and uh, we're not getting anywhere close to herd immunity, which would take something like 94 percent of the population to have been exposed. So we could be sitting on a tinderbox here. So I, I, I hope. Uh, We continue to follow guidelines and uh, wash our hands and use the masks and all of that because, yeah, I am concerned about it.
1: But Sean, of course, there's some concern that the tests that were carried out on the Filipinos and Japanese national might have been a bit off.
2: Yeah, um, the last time there was a a weak positive from Japan, it it turned out in subsequent tests that it was a false positive. Now, there is a possibility... I, I did see an article... Just this, uh, just last night, that mentioned that uh, this Japanese person is about to, or had taken another test and it, it was negative. Uh, but please double check on that one. I don't want to spread false information. So then I looked to the Philippines, right, and uh, I asked some sources of mine and uh, some doctors in the United States, among other places, and then I looked into the, the history of the Philippines regarding their testing and. Wow, um, you know I know the answer that everyone wants to know is uh, do they have it? Is it really from Taiwan so on and so forth but actually the answer is quite vague, and that's because apparently there's something called CT variables for pos- positivity. Uh, the one that the Philippines have is a little bit higher, so therefore you know because it, it's kind of like a spectrum of posit- positivity, so therefore it's more likely to come up with false positives and then there's so many different PCR testing. Kits um, from di- of different uh, accuracy from all these countries. So then you have um, what they call rapid type PCR testing, and of the positives uh, or of the negatives uh, of the positives, twenty percent of the f- positives could be false, and up to four percent of the uh, are false negatives out of one thousand. And given that the Philippines does more than ten thousand tests a day from various manufacturers and makes. This is a mess, right? And they're not exactly uh, fully cooperating with um, the CECC in Taiwan right now, which again compounds the problem. Then there's how do you quarantine these people? Where do they take the test? How the you know, so on and so forth. And by the way, each of these PCR testing tests that test for antibodies and so on and so forth are effective at specific times after infection, too. So it's quite a mess, and we're probably going to have to wait some time and see if this is an issue, if this is really an issue or not, because uh, you know, in the past, and they are testing right now, a lot of these uh, people who are, uh, were in contact with these Filipino uh, 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 workers and friends of ours um, turned out negative. I did see a theory, though, on, um, which is, hey, if there's all these people... You know, especially in the Philippines, you know, showing up uh, with all this positivity, you know, which is much higher uh, than normal, uh, then maybe... Uh, we do have local infections in Taiwan. Yes, that's true, but then you would find many people going to hospitals, right? Eventually, you know, saying, oh, I'm sick and whatever, uh, you know, especially their friends. So there's this internet theory that I saw uh, a couple days ago saying that maybe it's possible that there are illegal workers in Taiwan that that came to Taiwan illegally, and that's why they're working at these factories, and they're not going to hospitals and so forth. And there's some credence to this sort of hypothesis. But... uh, a lot of their friends are not, are here legally, and they would definitely go to visit a hospital. And at that point, they would get a COVID test.
0: Just uh, last week, actually, uh, 32, I believe, uh, people from uh, mainly from Vietnam, but uh, I think there was a couple other nationalities as well. They were arrested off the coast of Ping Dong trying to be smuggled into into Taiwan. They uh, tried to swim for it, actually. Yeah. And yeah, that's uh, it's, the, who knows how many people are here uh that came in in that fashion, and uh, what kind of health situation there is. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm hoping people stay stay alert, uh, so we can keep Taiwan COVID-free mostly. Yep.
1: Ryan right, Sean, and going back to the Zhonghua study, of course, the health minister saying, well, they did violate ethics, but we're not going to penalise them. But I mean surely there's a question there, because basically, according to to the health minister, basically the Zhenghua County Health Bureau told people that we're in quarantine, to leave quarantine, to go to get tested. And of course, we spoke about this on the show before with you, Sean. And of course, they had to take taxis and things. They weren't given transport to go to the hospital to get tested. So, of course, somebody did err there.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, last time I was here, I did say that it sounds and smells like political expediency, um, <laughs> you know, because of the way they did the test was so, done so poorly by having people leave quarantine, which is the purpose of it in the first place. And in the end, they said, aha, we found somebody that does have it. and uh, uh, But he would have been in quarantine anyway. Pulling him out would have been dangerous. And last time, I also mentioned that uh, there were people who wrote online uh, on PTT and Descartes and among other places saying that uh, they were given calls by the hospitals that the government would pay for the test but later on it might be more expensive and one person claimed that they actually were told to just take a scooter Uh, (laughs) you know which to me i thought was just alarming now why why do they get a slap on the wrist i think and and the reason is i think because nobody wants a drawn out battle here especially when we do need the cooperation of the officials uh, others may argue that hey look if we don't you know throw the book at them they're just going to continue doing this but i do think because now there's scrutiny there will be people to double check and see you know if any of these uh, really poorly concocted tests are going to be continuing and i don't think they are especially people who are more aware of it and especially because of the intense political Backlash uh, towards Zhanghua doing. I mean, people writing online sometimes, like, you know what, maybe we should just lock down Zhanghua County, you know, because that was just irresponsible.
0: That was- Taiwan has gotten so much good press over its COVID uh, handling. There was a CNN uh, reporter uh, who did a, a piece just the other day praising Taiwan. There's been so much praise that I, I hope it doesn't get to, you know, kind of get to our heads. And also, I hope it doesn't cause people to ignore warnings or to cover up things because they don't want to break this you know, wonderful uh, record so far that we've had. I'm concerned that, that, that the whole thing could be politicized. So, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that that's not the case.
1: And moving away from the coronavirus, the Fisheries Agency this Monday announced a new draft regulation establishing a system geared towards better managing derelict fishing gear, which is known as ghost gear, that causes marine pollution and is deadly to marine wildlife. Now, the new measure is set to take effect in July of next year, and the Fisheries Agency says it's aimed at encouraging fishing boat owners and fishermen to effectively manage their fishing gear and equipment and not dump it into the sea. But according to the Hualien-based kuro shio ocean education foundation taiwanese fishing boats actually generated about 60 metric tons of lost or abandoned fishing gear in 2019 accounting for a majority of the marine waste that washes up on taiwan's shores so michael doing something about marine waste washing up on the shores
0: yeah um this is going to take uh, probably a generation or so of education so to to convince these uh, people that this is in their own interest and that they're polluting their own waters because uh, the the past generations just just haven't seen it. It's just an an issue of economics uh, for them. What's cheapest? Uh, there's one uh, bright spot that uh, I was researching not long ago called the Fujian Fish Reserve, which is over in Taedong. And they got a whole bunch of NGOs together and they discussed things with fishermen. And they made a part of their former, like a harbor area, part of it became a reserve. And tourists started coming and snorkeling there and visiting. And they built up a pier for them to walk out on. And that's when they began to convince the fishermen that keeping things clean and uh cleaning up after themselves was worth it because there was an economic connection to it. So uh yeah, I, this is a, a problem that I mean if you go to go to an, literally any beach uh in Taiwan, maybe Kending aside, it it's just covered with Bottles and plastic, and it's it's really just a really sad state that we're living in here. So it's going to take a while, and I think they need some sort of uh, economic inducement, or uh, at least, if nothing else, some serious civic education.
1: And of course, Sean, apparently the Fisheries Agency says there's the, there's going to be a fine of up to one hundred and fifty thousand NT for violators of the regulation. That doesn't sound like a lot of money. That's not a lot of money for a fine that someone that maybe kills some t- some sea turtles or something.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, you know not enough. Um, baby steps, right? Uh they they they've said before uh that um See the problem is it's it's not just the trash because they, they said that they might put some serial numbers on these fishing nets. Uh, they, a lot of, one of the biggest problems in in this the kind of trash that the fisher uh, fishing fleets leave is something called like gill fishing nets, uh, where it sort of traps the fish by the gills and so forth. Uh, and and this is actually a major problem. It's even more than than tourism and everything else. Uh, what if I told you, for instance, that um, when you have a sushi dinner. Uh, uh, and if you you know maybe 10% of that was actually lost because it was trapped by you know uh, uh these these this this trash that's that's left behind or accidentally lost in storms or what have you by these fishing fleets uh, the problem with these nets and what have you that they leave behind is these traps Continue to capture more fish, they cause a lot of economical damage. They, they, because as the fish are dying, they become food that attracts other fish and other sea creatures. And it's like this perpetual cycle, and nobody's actually eating them. So, it, you know, and that causes losses. Now, there's, I tried reading a lot of articles about this, and then I went into scientific papers and so forth and so on, and one of the biggest, saddest problem is that this isn't actually uh, uh, researched well enough, as in uh, there's various studies all over the world, but there's not one comprehensive one. But from all the Small studies that they've had so far, uh, you know, in different locales, it was costing them like, you know, half a million dollars or $100,000 like over a given course or time period. Uh, other places, it show, uh, I think in Taiwan, it says it makes up 60% of the trash on the beach. Um, and, and this is made even worse because a lot of these nets that they leave behind, um, you know, stay there for so long. Plus, they're non-biodegradable. In the 1970s, they used to use semi-biodegradable or biodegradable uh, uh, fishing traps and so forth. But, uh, you know, then they switched to those made out of more durable materials, made out of plastic and so forth. What we could do in Taiwan is maybe introduce more measures. For instance, uh, introduce incentives to use biodegradable nets. Introduce incentives to, you know... um, have more responsibility fines are one thing but why not reward them as well you know we need to use a multi-pronged approach to this uh uh, issue and uh yeah i too personally i do love uh the fish in taiwan it's very great but you know knowing that about 10 percent of them are killed just by errant lost equipment uh, lost traps in the sea that's pretty sad
1: Anyway, on that sad note, we'll move on to our last topic today, and that being plans that are once again afoot to boost tourism in southern parts of the island. Now, a Philippine carrier became the first civilian flight to land at Hangchuan Airport in Pingdong in six years this Monday, and Pingdong County Magistrate Panman An waved from the control tower to greet the aeroplane and lauded it as a historic moment for the airport. Of course, the airport has been closed for many years due to, well, problems landing there. And also in the south this week, one of Taiwan's leading travel agencies says it plans to build a luxury hotel on Cho in Pingdong. Of course, Cho is a quite a small island that's basically, well, it would like tourists, but of course, Michael, it also wouldn't like tourists.
0: Right, well, OK, if we're starting with Xiaoliocho, it's uh, it's an island that's 6.8 uh, square kilometres. Uh, there's about 13,000 people who live there. Uh, <laughs> a, a side note, uh, m- the vast majority of them... S- share 10 surnames. So they're all uh, very related. It's a, a, a very close-knit group of people. And it's, it's a popular place to go. You get on a, a, a ferry in Donggang, and it's about 30 minutes, 40 minutes or so, and you're, you're over there. It's a pretty island. They have sea turtles that you can swim near and with. Unfortunately, many people uh, actually swim uh, way too close to them. And it's a it's an issue. Trash is a problem. They 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 take their trash and they put it in, on either barges or other, thing, and they bring it back to Taiwan because there's no way to, to deal with it on Shellyocho. So currently, because of the domestic uh, push for tourism due to COVID, Shellyocho, like for example, this past uh, the summer season was booked to the hilt. I mean, it, there's no way you could get a hotel. Not even even the campground camping areas were were full. So this year has seen really amazing uh, stats tourist-wise, but uh, with the tourists comes the trash. So this idea of building a five-star hotel is going to be Probably only mildly controversial because the building itself, according to the schematics or a picture that uh, an image that was drawn up, it doesn't look like it. uh, It doesn't look like some massive uh, five-star hotel like you would see in downtown Taipei. It looks pretty much like uh, an ordinary, just large building, and it could just be. uh, It might fit into the to the scene quite well but um yeah there's going to be environmentalists and there's going to be people who are concerned about uh, just more tourists and more trash however i i don't see uh, them backing down on this and uh for, in, in the big picture for Xiaolio they, they, they need the money and they need the tourists. So, yes. On the airport issue, um, this is something that we've been going on for such a long time. I, I wrote something on this back in 2018 when there was supposed to be a flight from Myanmar that was supposed to land in July of 2018. And that was when people were getting all excited about... Uh, uh, getting ties to southeast asia and having people fly in from from those places then it didn't happen and they said they needed to extend the runway i believe they did a partial bit of that but not all of it so this time this charter jet stopping uh... it just it stopped it didn't even turn off its engines and then it uh, flew off but it did demonstrate that this is a viable possibility uh, as soon as this covid thing is over Now, we used to use the airport for flying from Taipei or uh, domestic flights. But uh, I've, I've done it once, and if any, anybody's done it, uh, you can see why it's not such a viable option for domestic travel. It is spooky to land at that airport with the wind the, the way it is. So these larger jets might be a, a, a good idea and might work. So, yeah, the, the taxpayers are, are paying for this airport to, to sit there, and really it's only been used over these years for, I think they filmed a couple of car commercials there, and there, were, there was probably one beach party that used part of the airport at one point. But, Kingdong County is paying and uh, the central government is paying to keep this open. So, if we can possibly actually use an airport for what it was meant to be used for, this would be great.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I do think so, too. Um, in Pingtung, uh, you know, they, they said, that, you know, the number of foreign tourists or, or foreigners that were there every year by year um, was fluctuating. So I do think that this airport might have some use. Uh, in 2017, they said 180,000. Uh, in 2018, 141,000. 2019, 158,000 uh, uh, had visited around the Pingtung area, of which this airport is right there, right next door. Um, so it's so close to Kanting. so this is this is great, you know. Uh, but uh, that said, I, I did see pictures of this plane. I did find the airplane company. They they apparently their website's down, but their Facebook was there. It's a small. It's not really that big of an airplane either. I also saw that the pilots had said that Taiwan uh, that airport was easy to land than most uh, other small airports in the Philippines, and that's great too, right? Uh, and I also know that um, the airport had talked to six countries, 40 different airline companies, and was not able to get uh, a good traction on that front. Uh, you know, th- there's always talk about locals hating some tourists sometimes, but on the other hand, it helps the local economy. And uh, so I guess good for that. That said, uh, I'm going to move a little bit to uh, Xiaoyuqiu, uh, or Lombai Island, never heard of it called that. Uh, one of our biggest challenges is that um, during the coronavirus, yes, there's nowhere else to go. So Taiwanese tourists are everywhere. But Apparently the hotel is going to be completed in 2022. Uh, That's quite some ways off. So, uh, and I also know that they're they're going to charge about seven thousand to eight thousand NT a night uh, for an island that is also great for snorkeling, among other things. But that brings up an issue. Many other hotels uh in Shaiaolyocho are only charging a thousand to two thousand n t so you're paying you know four to eight times the price to stay at this hotel and yeah, the hotel doesn't look too out of place. it looks kind of like minecraft blocks it really does that's gray so at least color wise isn't too gaudy it isn't a ginormous hotel uh but there are already other decent hotels there I guess it's fine but 2022, I don't know. That's some ways off. Uh, And if it's built in anticipation of the increased amount of tourism, well, let's hope by 2022, the COVID pandemic has died off a bit. Uh, the pandemic has died off a bit, not the people. And that, you know, uh, uh, that m- will make me wonder if this hotel is properly advised. That said, it is one of the people building it, I think is Phoenix Tours or a Phoenix, some organization. It's really large, one of the largest in Taiwan. So they probably know what they're doing.
1: Anyway, that's all. We'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Sean Su. Thank you for having me. And on the telephone from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And there won't be any shows for the next two weeks, those being the Fridays of October the 2nd and the 9th, as it's the Mid Autumn Festival long weekend holiday next week and the Double Ten National Day slightly shorter weekend holiday the following week. But if you happen to miss what's been happening here in Taiwan, then don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app, where you can get access to all our previous shows. Music.